Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Good evening. Welcome to Unsheathed number 29. We're coming to you live from Furry Fiesta in scenic Dallas, Texas. We have an audience in front of us. I'm Kyle Gold. With me is... I am a vibrating game here, Asaki. <laughs> You're supposed to be non-vibrating. That was the whole point. Okay, I'm, and, I'm done. And uh, and with us is a furry publisher and podcaster, and famous podcaster, <laughs> Fuzzwolf. Hello. I'm Fuzzwolf. <laughs> and uh, we got a whole two-hour block here, which I don't know if we're going to use all of, but we're going to... Talk to Fuzzwolf a little bit. He's the head of Fur Planet Publishing. And uh, we're going to take some questions from the nice people out here in the audience and generally have a good time. So, welcome. And, uh, Fuzz, tell us a little bit about Fur Planet. How did, it get, how did you get started with it? Oh, boy. Um, well, Fur Planet was uh, originally started back in 2004. Uh, and it was... At first, it was the official store for Fur Nation, which was owned by Nexus. In uh, around about uh, end of 2007, I started thinking that I'd been helping him out with it for a couple of years. And I was really enjoying it, but I was thinking I would like to start doing this for myself. So maybe I'll start up my own uh, publishing company. So I went to talk to him about this and... Uh, he was uh, in sort of a, a transitionary period, and he was like, well, why don't you just buy for Planet? And That's I quite was a transition. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that sounds like a great idea, because um, for Planet's an established name. It has an established uh, customer base, uh, catalog products, a uh, stable of artists and writers. So rather than starting from nothing, I would actually start already kind of hitting the ground running which is sort of like jumping into the cockpit of an airplane, you know, when it's <laughs> rapidly descending. You'd be like, okay, i got to literally hit the ground running here. and So things well, were a little hectic. not hit the ground if you jump into the not cockpit of an airplane. Not hit the ground, no. <laughs> things were a little hectic for the first year, but um, Tieran and I officially took over in March of 2008. So we're coming up on two years of the two of us running for Planet. Oh, congratulations. That's quite a milestone. Thank you. Um, what kind of things have you tried to do with Fur Planet that, uh, I mean, I know some of them, but talk about what your goals are with it. Uh, well, the, the neat thing about the way Fur Planet's set up is that rather than a traditional publisher, which would um, send out a book or a comic to an offset printer and have like a thousand copies or you know, how many thousands of copies, depending on how big the product is, printed at once. And a lot of those end up getting pulped because you send them off to bookstores, they get sent back, etc. We're actually a print-on-demand operation, so we only print as many copies of something as we need to fill our orders and to uh, properly prepare for conventions, which means we don't have the big initial outlay of cash, uh, thousands of dollars to get a thousand copies of something printed. So that allows us to print a wider variety of material, give more artists and writers a shot 
at actually getting their product uh, out in the marketplace. So there's a there's a lot of great stuff out there, but if you're doing it the traditional publishing route, you have to be really choosy about what you're going to you know put your time and in, invest your money in. But we we can actually spread that out and you know give more people a shot at, at getting their work seen, which I, I think is a real benefit for us. That's very cool, and I think it it serves the community very well because there's a lot of there's a lot of talent out there that maybe just needs a little bit of exposure to mm-hmm. yeah. really get better and get noticed. And you get your first couple books out there, and you you start building an audience, and then people start coming by your dealer's table asking, when's the next issue of this coming out? When's the next novel by this author coming out? And it kind of slowly builds up like that, and so I, I think we're really helping out some of our writers here and kind of get started out. Um, what big plans do you have for the future that you could reveal to us exclusively on this live podcast? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, um, I think we've, uh, we've already well talked about the Cupcakes line uh, since, since it premiered this weekend. So, of course, that's continuing. And we'll be doing... Uh, I'm holding up a copy of he's Bridges holding up, here. Kyle's holding up a copy. For those of you listening at home after the fact. You can show see, you off can to see the, the audience. pretty fox. Very pretty this a, fox. This is a prop for later, too. Okay, good. Uh, so we'll have three or four of those a year. <laughs> um, also, um, we were working closely with Bad Dog Books, and we recently, um, uh, Roar 2 was released uh, a month ago at Further Confusion, and the uh, editor has just put out a call for submissions for Roar 3. Um, cool. And that's going to have the... Uh, the theme of that is moments and writing around a single moment and how it can have a big effect and, you know, turn a situation. Um, and I'll probably have more information on that for you later. And I know we're also, uh, they're also working on FANG 4. And I'm trying to think of anything else we've kind of got in the works. Um, Are you doing anything like coming up, trying to do new venues, new like electronic publishing or going out to different conventions or anything like that? Yeah, we're actually, um, uh, Tieran and I have completely lost our minds and <laughs> decided to... As opposed to when you decided to buy Fur Planet? Yeah, that was the first half of losing our minds. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> The second half is greatly expanding the number of conventions that we make an appearance at. We've been doing five or six cons a year recently. Uh, this year, I think we're doing 12 altogether. Um, we're splitting it up, though. It'll be a couple of cons that I'm at and he's not, and a couple of cons that Tieran's taking the company to, and I'll be staying at home. But, I mean, we're going to be doing Rainforest for the first time. Um, I've just confirmed that we have uh, two dealer tables at FA United, so that'll be the first time we're at that con. Cool. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to remember all the other ones now. I think we're, we're doing Rocky Mountain Furcon again as well. Awesome. I think we should be there too, so we'll look forward to seeing great, you there. Great, great. Um, yeah, I was going to say if there were any in particular that you wanted to list off for the people at home so they know where to, where where to, to find, find you us. if you go to their local convention. We're also um, going to be hitting Fur Fright for the first time this year awesome. as well. Well, first time as dealers. Tieran and I have attended once before, but that was years ago, and it is really 
grown <laughs> since yeah, then. I was amazed when I heard how big it had gotten. Yeah, actually. it was like a two-day party, basically, back when we went to it. Now I it's think there are over a thousand people. Yeah, yeah, it's Which it's like a three-day massive con now. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't, know, I didn't con. know Connecticut could that many people. <laughs> we'll just make a new con called well, Massive it's whole, Con. It's a whole New England area con. Yeah, pretty much. Connecticut doesn't count. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm pretty That's sure all Japanese of have no New knowledge England. of U.S. geography. <laughs> <laughs> Connecticut's near Wyoming, right? <laughs> yes. So that's our our one of our big agendas this year. Um, we're also working on trying to kind of get the name out there a little bit more. Um, even though Fur Planet's been around as a name for since '04, um, it's sort of like not a lot of people kind of knew it was there for a long time. So I've been working on, you know, banner ads on FA and, and getting ads into con books and part of that effort is going to more conventions and making our presence known there and reaching people that maybe not everybody can go to AC, even though it's a huge con and a lot of people are there, but you know, go to Rainforest, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna meet a ton of people I've never seen at a convention before and Yeah, definitely. That's a good thing for a dealer. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um Anything else you want to say offhand? Uh, hmm. The no is okay for right now. We can chat. I'm, you- I'm thinking of other things I want to say. Um, well, maybe for the, for the folks listening at home, um, when we first started out, the majority of our catalog was gay erotica. And <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I should That's point what this out, podcast is all about. I should point out I do not have a problem with that at all. Um, however, I am interested in expanding our range to, to kind of have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So we're, at, we're slowly adding more non-erotic material, and we're adding some uh, straight erotica also. So I just want to work on making for a planet something where I'm trying to represent, you know, every uh, kind of uh, genre orientation, something for everyone. One of the one of the other things about Fur Planet that I think is very cool is that you're not just a publisher, but you also serve as a distributor. So you carry books from um, Dark Horse, you carry books from Sofa Wolf, you carry books from well, you're primarily the publisher of Bad Dog, but you carry their mm-hmm. books as well. But you'll carry other lines and yeah. take them out to conventions. I've noticed that um, <coughs> a lot of the the companies um, like that in the furry fandom. Their customer bases seem to be somewhat compartmentalized. Like I'm sure that Sofwolf have published uh, have customers that only know that Sofwolf exists, and the same with Fur Planet, the same with Rabbit Valley. So there's a real um, benefit to kind of cross-selling there. And you know, if I carry Sofwolf books, uh, this con we're carrying Rabbit Valley stuff as well. We'll probably be doing that again in, at some future cons. Um, we're carrying Will Sanborn stuff through Anthro Dreams, who does some other great anthologies. And I, I, I'd like to think that that's introducing our customers to some publications from, from the other companies there. Yeah, I think there's actually a pretty significant nugget of truth to that, which I think was demonstrated pretty well when uh, Kyle posted about uh, Bridges, which is you know being published by Fair Planet and there were a whole slew of comments. I was like, wait, like, is, is Sofwolf going to be doing this? And it's like, no, there, there are people other than Sofwolf that can publish Kyle's stuff, really. And, you know, just sort of like there was some sort of, like, 
like brand identity shock, I think, that people experience. Right. Which is natural. I mean, I, I published most of my stuff through Sofa Wolf because I tended to publish novels, and they were the ones that were publishing novels when I started, so I kept publishing with them. Um, but, yeah, definitely it's um, the way the way the Bridges came about, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but just briefly, is it was a novella-length story, and... I was talking with a couple other writers who also had novella-length stories, and then we got to talking to Fuzzwolf, and he said, hey, I'd love to publish some shorter works, uh, which was something... Sofwolf has a very limited um, capacity for what they can publish in a year. And so we talked to Fuzzwolf and started uh, Cupcakes Through Fur Planet. I think um, part of that is there's, um, you know, the mainstream world, there's that idea that, you know, Microsoft hates Apple... Right. And I think as consumers in the furry fandom, a lot of people think that there's some kind of weird rivalry between all the furry publishing companies. Because um, we actually had a guy at Oaklacon, um We had some copies of Granville, I think, and out of position sitting on our table. And uh, it's actually um, a friend of mine was, was carrying it for me. I was away, and uh, I came back, and he was like, I just had a really weird conversation with someone. He was like, oh, you're for Planet, huh? I bet you hate those guys at Sofa Wolf. <laughs> and he's like, no, we're actually all really good friends. And <laughs> the guy seemed, I don't know, either disappointed or somewhat shocked and just kind of wandered away. <laughs> the thing about it is that there's far from too much read material in the fandom right now. And the more any of us can convince people that books are worth picking up, the more everybody benefits. Because if somebody picks up one book from Fur Planet they're going to be open to say, oh, what else is out there? And they're going to go to Sofwolf, and they're going to go to Rabbit Valley, and they're going to go to all these other places. And, you know, the same applies to anyone. People who are Sofwolf readers can find their books at Fur Planet, and then we'll see all the other stuff there. And it's what the goal, I think, of all the publishers is, is to reach as many people as possible because the fandom right now, I think the last estimates I saw were somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 people worldwide. Mm. And, you know... I've seen higher, like 300,000, but I don't know how well sourced that uh, information was. And but I mean, it's growing pretty quickly. It's growing quickly, and there's a lot of those people that still aren't aware of books and writing out there which is partly why we do this podcast. And actually, we mostly do this podcast because we have a good time doing it. Um, one thing I, I think really helped uh, out this effort, and I want to compliment you, Kyle, is uh, the Anthology X involving you know so many different people. But uh, you had Alex Vance write a story in that. And, yep. of course, his author bio has a link to baddogbooks.com. And I wrote a story. My author bio links to furplanet.com. So that's which is one publication that is going to make people aware that there are other furry publishers out there and, and all the authors have their, their writings and their links in there as well. So that's one example of, you know, helping people know that, oh, there's, there's more than, uh, you know, just so wolf or just for planet. And that was, that was actually part of the idea behind the anthology. So thank you. I'm glad it, I'm glad it seems to have worked at least to some extent is I knew, a lot of authors that I considered to be really high-quality authors, and I knew that their fan bases, to some extent, were compartmentalized, like you were saying. So White Yoda had his following. I had mine. Um, Hirosaki-san's and mine kind of overlapped, but I had to get him in the collection because he's too good. 
I, I also lived down the street from him, so if I found out he was doing a book and didn't tell me, I would have like just kind egged of, the house. <laughs> I was going to say threw a rock through your window. I think you would have egged the house. <clears throat> okay. Isn't that what you Japanese people do? <laughs> no or would you like ramen noodle the house? <laughs> but, uh, Did you, was there a question back there? Or no. So <laughs> he realizes your walls aren't made of paper. It's like, damn it, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, when you're dealing with something like that's already a niche market, it doesn't make sense to compete and try to fight over portions of what's already really limited and like you were yeah. saying earlier like when you sort of cooperate everyone benefits from it yeah and I, i've yet to hear someone say you know i love all the books from one place but not from this other place and it's we're all trying to put out the best works we can well that'd be really silly between for planet and self wolf since you've been published by both of us yeah i know <laughs> I'm, I'll be like I'm I'll be the Solomon and I'll straddling the fence as it were. <laughs> like as the Kimbo, as that like a fox, like a yeah, like a fox. <laughs> her, her, um, yeah. So, before we kind of open things up to the audience, I wanted to ask people in the audience how many of uh, how many of y'all have listened to our podcast before? Nearly oh, everybody. Uh, nearly everyone. Um, and. So for those of you who don't, basically Unsheathed is me and Hirosaki-san talking about writing, generally writing erotica. Um, if you are not familiar with us and like what you hear, or if you are familiar with us, you can help us out. We have these beautiful DVD audios that collected uh, episodes 1 to 24. They also collected Unsheathed Presents numbers 1 and 2, which is me and Hirosaki-san reading embarrassing stories we wrote about each other, um, plus two bonus stories we read. And the lost episode of Anthropodcast with Flane Falcon, which he's never aired, but is on the DVD. <laughs> it's very um, entertaining. And you can pick these up at the Fur Planet table in the dealer's room. It's 10 bucks. It goes to help defray the cost of all this equipment that you see up here on the table. We talk about the 2009 football season and Daleks. And my, <laughs> and, and it's very amusing. My Super Bowl pick, which was in Anthropodcast 21, was Colt Saints. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> So where's where's <clears throat> I did uh, I I did not correctly predict the winner, but I predicted the team. So you got a golf clap. We yeah, are, uh, I, got, I got a little clap. For that. We're, we're we're psychic writers of furry adult material. Oh the, God, uh, if only. The amusing thing for me about that episode, because I quite enjoyed listening to it, is listening to Flane saying, hey, "We're going to take a break, and maybe someone will put a drop in here." <laughs> Thanks for that great drop on, and now we're back. <laughs> Well, that Whoops. was like going down and watching uh, episodes of Jeopardy being filmed, where mm-hmm. they film they film like five episodes back to back, and so in between the episodes, they go and change clothes, and so they'll come back in the next episode, and Alex will say something like, "Well, as we saw yesterday, this person did this," and I'm thinking that was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Time is it's different all done for with mirrors, <laughs> and for Doctor Who. That's right. Um, so we're, we're going to give you guys a chance to ask Fuzzwolf questions about Fur Planet, ask us questions about Riot and Erotica, um, and, um, and we have a, a microphone, and I believe we have a, a gopher fox who's willing to take it around to let people ask questions. That, that's not a weird hybrid thing, by the way, when he says <laughs> gopher fox. No, it's, it's gopher fox with two Fs. Yeah. Um, Foxes that burrow underground, oh. destroy golf courses. 
Now I'm getting story ideas. And have weird teeth. <laughs> um, have everyone blow, blow made fun of the gopher teeth. fox. Blowjob on friendly teeth. Yes. There's our <laughs> reference. Um, and, you know, fair warning, if you don't ask questions, then we're just going to ramble on for like an hour about whatever comes to mind. And he's been drinking all night. Yeah. And I'm fueled by mojito and cold pizza. I, I've got my Coke Zero with me, so uh, I'm all caffeined up. Um, so, who wants to ask us something? Of course, the person furthest away from the microphone. Come on down. Come on down. <laughs> Runner. <laughs> Hi. Okay. Um, my question is, I've been trying to write this uh, story for an anthology, but it, it needs to be longer, and I'm trying to write a sex scene in it, but I'm completely blocked. Does that ever happen to you? Or uh, if so... If so how do you solve the problem? <laughs> yeah, like when you're writing a story and you know that it's supposed to be for something erotic, it's like, oh, yeah, I should probably have them fuck in here, huh? <laughs> well, I, I know for a fact that uh, Hirosaki-san was writing a story which included, uh, I believe it was a blowjob scene. Yeah. And he took like a month to write the scene because he kept saying, I know I need to write this. I know I need to write this, and I can't make it fun. And I was thinking, how can you not make a blowjob fun? But he managed well, something. Yeah, Ferris wheel. So, <laughs> well, they okay, go that up would, and that they go would down. Do it. They go up and down. And it's a meta blowjob. It, it helps with the natural motion. <laughs> um, so, how did you solve that? Well, again, I think this is where we sort of like to have this philosophy where the erotica serves the story, and if what you're trying to shoehorn in there doesn't serve the story then maybe that's a you know cause to sort of re-examine what you're trying to do and you know if there's another place where it would fit better maybe that might help give you some sort of not inspiration but at least prompt you to think of if there's a better point in the story to include this scene that might give you a better lead in and have some different momentum and and i'd also say on top of that if you're having difficulty with the sex scene it might be that you're trying to include too much detail that you're trying to get not just from point A to point C, but... Um, <laughs> nice. We know what point <laughs> C stands for, don't we? Wait, but um, but you're trying to go point A to B to C, D, E, F, to G, and you're trying to detail every single step. And you may just want to say, you know, they did this for a while. <clears throat> and then eventually... And, you know, if it's giving you trouble, just shorthand through it spare the detail and get past it and go back to it when you have filled it out in your head i'm trying to make zia turn red because it happens really easily and it's starting now here's what you do you write down the words in and out and you copy and paste for a page and a half and hit a period (laughs) done i would say i would say i would say you should just draw on your vast wealth of experience and Pull out something, a cherished memory, and try to write that down. <laughs> or that, either that or find a picture on F.A. that most closely resembles the scene that you want to write. Then do your best to describe it while making sure both of your hands never leave the keyboard. And use the frustration <laughs> to inspire you to write as quick and as hard and as fast as you can. Quick and hard and fast is not always the best way, though. You might want to write slow and deliberate. Take it easy and enjoy yourself while you're writing it. This is I have to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> is he right enough? Can we move on to another question? 
He's matching his sweater. I think we can move on. He is. Oh, and he gets a high five, too. He Excellent. does. Thank you, Zia. He's always a good sport. Um, oh, okay. We have another another victim. Oh, Someone's wow. going to get hung with that microphone cord by the end of the night. You said hung. Her, <laughs> 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 Hello? <laughs> so, no um, more mojitos for you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Bell's theorem ca- uh, allowed local hidden variable t- uh, theories to be experimentally tested and then discarded. But there's still some non-local hidden variable theories out there. So my question is, what do you think of determinism and quantum mechanics? And how hard should you try to make sure that the occupations and settings that your s- characters are in are realistic? Well, I'm, I believe that you cannot always know all the variables in a sex scene so if you're describing the motion then you cannot be describing the location yeah <laughs> all right or like you, you know like if if if, right. if the cock is inside the fox you don't know if it's gotten off or not until you take it out <laughs> and you actually observe it <laughs> but the act of observing also changes the scene yes how depending how keenly you observe definitely affects the results <laughs> and if they know you're observing <laughs> or and and I believe they actually covered this on Notcast last night um, with the is the dick in the box alive <laughs> or dead? You don't oh know God. until you open the box. And, <laughs> and all I remember was something about spiders. Yeah, it's a very unsexy scene. <laughs> is the is the clock spider? Never mind. <laughs> so I got to include to clock spiders in my oh, next story. Well, the second half of it, which I kind of snuck after the stuff that didn't make a ton of sense. Uh, which, the inspiration for which you can, by the way, you can look to the left and find out. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I'm writing a lot of uh, stuff I don't know about, and not specifically sex, but um, like people in occupations that I don't know a whole lot about. Or uh, I write sci-fi where nobody really knows how this would work. So, um, when you're not 100% sure how something would work, how hard do you, like, at what point do you, um, you know, do research, and what point do you just kind of fudge it and say, let the reader figure out whether it makes sense or not? Um, we just actually did a um, write an erotica panel before this podcast in which I stressed the importance of personal experience. Um, be safe, boys and girls. But um, I've found in things like that, in world building, where you have to make up stuff, I've had several experiences in my writing where I made up things because I figured this is how people would behave in this situation, and then later uncovered a situation that was similar and found that people did actually do what I'd made up. So... When you've done that a few times, you kind of get a little bit of confidence and you think, well, even if this isn't realistic, it's my world, I can make up whatever I need to make up. Um, Research is great, but it's also great for procrastinating your actual writing. You can get lost in research for days and days and days on end. Wikipedia is a black hole. And not just just researching personal experience in erotica, which you can also get lost in for days and months on end yeah i was gonna say don't make stuff up if you're writing about guns 
Because people who are into guns will come down on you like the wrath of God if you get it wrong. Well, the, there's an interesting point to that, though. If you, I think there are enough people that really care about guns that they will call you out on it. Yeah. But you have to ask yourself, is it worth me doing a week's worth of research to get this exactly right? Or do I want to just say, I don't care, and people who you know, are fanatical about whatever it is, they're going to call me out on it, and the other 99% of the people who read the book are not going to notice or care. You have anything to add, Fuzz? Uh, yeah. Oh. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it, it is possible to write about um, what well, was sex scenes anyway. It's possible to write about what you haven't had uh, personal experience with. Um, so I've written some a couple particular kink stories, which kinks that I don't share, but it was a story trade with somebody, so I wrote them. And getting into the heads of the characters, I kind of... I was able to sort of place myself there enough to, to get through writing the story, and it actually turned out pretty good uh, without actually having to go and you know do those things <laughs> that I may not be into. Uh, with more technical aspects like that, I, haven't, I don't have any... Um, so I'm a little at a disadvantage here because I haven't written a lot of really plot-driven stories. Um, but with sci-fi, though... I mean, that's like a blank slate. I mean, you can create your own world, and you don't want to go completely crazy about it, but you can take certain liberties with that. And like you're saying, it's uh, you build your own world. But um, have you ever seen um, Thank You for Smoking? Uh, sadly not. It's on my list. Okay, there's there's a scene where um, this marketing exec, to, exec is trying to pitch to the, the smoking rep um, cigarettes in space. It's the final frontier, right? <laughs> and the smoking rep goes, wouldn't that be a bad idea in an oxygen-rich environment? And the guy's like, oh, we just write that off in one line. Thank God we developed the whatever device. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> there you go. And it's a one, if that story actually existed, it is a one-line fix to a problem. If you really need your character smoking on a spaceship, you're solving the problem. As I think was mentioned on the podcast once before, you're only allowed to do that once per story. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. we've said that. Is that the MacGuffin um, effect? <laughs> and, you know, I wrote a whole novel that takes place inside the world of college and professional football, which um, those of you here at the live podcast can probably pretty easily see I've never actually played. Um, but uh, the uh, I've read enough insider articles i've read interviews with players i've read enough of that to get a sense of what the world is like i skip out on details that i don't know about i try to incorporate new things as i find them out someone who's been immersed in that world would probably be able to tell within a paragraph that i'm not writing from a position of personal knowledge but i don't know if any of those people have actually read the book so for it would me, be awesome it, if they have. Well, actually, I do. I do have a high school player who plays. Uh, he plays on the defense. I don't remember if he plays Dev's position, but he <laughs> he plays football. He's going to a Division two college, and he has a boyfriend who's a fox, who gave him the book. So, 
<laughs> it you was have all, to be a tiger now. It was all very, yeah, I think, I think he has to. Live but. your life according to this or else. <laughs> so, now I have, so now I have to write a happy ending. Does his set. boyfriend sometimes dress like a girl? I didn't ask. That's between them and... If he does, can you give his email address to Fuzzwolf? <laughs> <laughs> Pixar didn't happen. <laughs> so, is that good? All right. All right. Yes. Come over to the microphone. Help our uh, gopher fox out here. <laughs> As he flauntily bounces to and fro. <laughs> when you use a, a sci-fi environment for a story, how hard is it to avoid sort of just borrowing from someone else's universe? Not intentionally, you know, where you'd say something specific, but just you sort of get lazy and you just sort of slide into an established setting? Um, there's certain established sci-fi conventions that you're going to use, and it's really... It's really tough to say whether you're borrowing from someone else's universe. If you say something like Faster Than Light Drive, that's a sci-fi convention. If you say something specific, what was that? Right. If you use dilithium crystals, then you're borrowing from a universe. Um, But in i guess the same applies to erotica too borrowing conventions and ways of doing things but there's there's a line between sort of the common discourse of the medium of the genre and what people have invented specifically for the world and sometimes things people invented specifically for the world become common because so many people like the idea and copy it yeah um to use the well i don't know if this really counts but the uh proliferation of non-human genitals in pictures was sort of started by one artist and then spread throughout and that wasn't really something that you could say other people copied from them but it certainly started after they started putting it in it became a meme in the original sense of the word not in like the internet meme sense of the word right yeah i think um i actually had a, a situation like that um the uh, the story I wrote next, I got three quarters of the way through it and um, and realized, shit, um, this character is a lot like a replicant from Blade Runner, and that wasn't intentional. But the whole idea of a a created person or a programmed cyborg or a robot or something like that is is a sci fi convention. And I'm glad you took out the scene where he gouged out the eyes of the other character. <laughs> and then, like, that Edward not James sexy. almost is leaving, like, origami unicorns. And <laughs> <laughs> but I think there is enough um, original story around that general concept that it worked all right. And I think if you called them replicants, it would have been different. Yeah, that's a Blade Runner word. So. Yeah, but the whole idea of a cyborg or an artificial person is something that you can't really, um, you can't really copyright. It's just so common. Yeah, because I mean, there's like there's there's concepts that are just broad enough that you know, it, it's like you said, like, like faster than light travel. I mean, that's something that doesn't exist. It's been created mostly just for fictional purposes, and there's really no way anyone can call you on quote unquote stealing that idea from someone else. 
But I mean, if you end up halfway through a sex scene and suddenly we're in Galactica CIC, I mean, then then we have a problem. <laughs> um, who's next? Come on, don't be shy. Don't make us ramble. Over there. Don't make us ramble. I swear to God, we'll ramble. I swear to God, we'll talk about nothing. <laughs> like an episode of Seinfeld. Greetings. Um, Only with blowjobs. I have a question about uh, how you use descriptors. And how do you get ideas for them? How oh. do we use... Descriptors. Describing Descri- Describing things. Adjectives, I think. Um, one of the exercises that uh, we've had suggested in workshops is to write down, carry a notebook around and write down descriptions of just everyday events. Like, you're sitting on the bus, write a paragraph about the person in front of you. Um, write a paragraph about the bus. And try to figure out how to describe it such that when you're reading it later it evokes the right things to bring that scene back to you um i would not suggest you stop in the middle of sex to write down a paragraph about how it feels but perhaps if your brain is working that well in the middle of sex by the way yeah just pop the laptop on your partner's back (laughs) (laughs) oh there you go nicely said um, but it's certainly the kind of thing where you can look back on something and say, what stood out to me about that, and how would I describe that? Um, the other thing you do is read. Read other people. Um, find out how other people describe things. Yeah, like if you ever want to just figure out, you know, like get a list of new adjectives, look at the descriptions that vineyards give to their wines and I guarantee you'll be like, wow, I've never heard that before. <laughs> that's, just, that's certainly a way to describe something. <laughs> the fox was fruity with a nice bell pepper aroma. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with hints of black currant and forest floor. <laughs> ah, yes. The, this, uh, this well-balanced wolf, rich with flavors of blackberry, cocoa, and clove. Enjoy this wolf with roast beef. <laughs> so that's I have a, to take a break. That's a bull wolf fox three way. More wine. Oh, I'm, I'm, more wine. I'm in the minority here. We have two wolves, an otter and a fox. Well, you still have the the candid majority. That's true. Um, yeah, it's uh, describing things is one of those things that you just you practice. You write something, you see if it sounds right. If it doesn't sound quite right, it nags at you, and you think about it for days on end until you figure out the right way to say it. Um, you read other books. You shamelessly copy from other people and how they describe things. And you just you learn. You pick it up as you go along. Um, that's not a tremendously helpful answer, but... Yeah, read, read, read. Yeah, that's... Yeah, Someone read said for planet you books. You can't. <laughs> yeah, order from for planet and then read them. Yeah. Uh, read you more. Can't write M-O-A-R. unless you read. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what else do people want to hear about? If you don't have questions, what would you like to hear us talk about for a while? Like to hear oh. us talk about our writing or we we got a race power in the corner. Uh, we do have a power <clears> over there, and then I think we had another one over here. It's good. Hey guys. Um, hey Drans. On the. Uh, on the topic of uh, science fiction, uh, you guys have talked a lot about different books you've uh, read in the past. I think at one point you mentioned David Weber, um, who does the Honor Harrington series. 
which I personally like a lot. Um, I've read uh, you know lots of Star Wars and Star Trek and everything else. Uh, I notice personally that it seems like a lot of sci-fi tries to make things accessible. Or Battlestar Galactica is a good example, where they give you a setting where everything looks kind of similar. It's just in space, you know. So there's mechanics. It looks like they might as well be working on cars and stuff. Um, I was wondering if you had any good examples of where you thought uh, sci-fi was made. Like, you have a difficult like, idea to express. Like, think about Ender's Game. How, how did the guy, how did uh, Orson Scott Card describe Ender's Game and make it really accessible? Where he's telling this crazy story of stuff you can't even imagine if he would have started the very beginning, or the end of the story, where he's talking about the Doctor Doom machine, whatever. Right. You know, how, how do you uh, build that up? What kind of neat tricks can you use? And if you ever go to uh, the the TV tropes over on the internet. One of their big tropes is the dot 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 in space, just just <laughs> to show you know how often that you just take this like it's like this, but it's in space. And <clears throat> news radio, a sitcom back in the '90s, did a great episode that was news radio in space. And Phil Hartman introduces it by saying, "What would it be like if news radio took place in space? If instead of a radio station, we were on a space station?" And instead of reporting the news, we reported the space news. <laughs> and they riff on that for 30 minutes, and it's great. And we miss Phil Hartman. Yeah. Yeah, but so to find a way to – and I guess this is sort of uh, something that actually applies really well to if you're going to be doing like a furry setting, where one of the things that you know when you're writing is you need to get the reader to identify with what you're talking about. And if you're dealing with any anything – it doesn't necessarily have to be furry, but if it's something like alien or whatnot, where you have like a non-human protagonist, you need to find ways to emphasize the you know aspects that you want to have empathi- empath- emphasized in a way that you know the, the reader will pick up on that and will be able to follow and go, okay, I have a baseline for understanding you know why I'm supposed to care. Applying that to the setting and story isn't too different, um, as long as you have some way to anchor the reader's expectations on at least one level and as long as you can keep them grounded at least in part you can sort of change the other things and make them weird and different as long as you know they have some place to come back to once you start if you have nothing that's um on a level that a reader's going to identify with it's just going to kind of turn into nonsense which i have read things that i would say fall into that category <laughs> um one of the things I mean, the, the main thing that you do is you focus on the characters and their experiences because ultimately the reader has to identify with the characters. Um, one of the things uh, Scott Card did in Ender's Game is he starts Ender out in a very familiar environment. He's in a schoolyard. His parents are, you know, he's in a schoolyard, he comes home. He's in a fight, he comes home. There's a weird thing about him being a third, which you kind of get, and he never really fully explains until a little bit later. But then Ender is yanked out of this familiar environment, and he's put on a cruiser, and he sort of knows where he's going, but not really. So he's learning about all these weird things at the same time as the reader is. Um, That's a really common device to introduce bizarre worlds, is take someone who's not familiar with the world and throw them into it. So all the things that the reader needs to know to get around in the world, this character has to know, and the reader feels the empathy of the character being tossed into this unfamiliar situation. Um, it's got a very common device in Japanese anime. Yes. <coughs> what is? Um, and Scott Card did another uh, in Speaker for the Dead. 
talked a lot about the experience of humans relating to near humans, relating to aliens that we could sort of understand, relating to a different kind of alien that we had nothing in common with, um, which is a great story in and of itself, but it's also a great primer for dealing with these different kind of alien races and stuff. Um, anything else from down here? We had somebody over yeah. here next. Up there. Our gopher is Ski Fox, who is valiantly helping us out, running around the p- panel room with a microphone. This may be similar to an earlier question, but what I was wondering is what's the best way to find the middle ground between what is commonly known as purple prose and brown prose, that being being over-descriptive or being lack of descriptive in certain situations or items in certain scenes? Well, okay, so I think that really there's there's, it's less of a crime to be under-descriptive than it is to be over-descriptive. So err on the side of less is more uh, in, you know, almost any case. I think that... um, what Kyle was mentioning earlier, where when you where you stop moving things forward because you're just continuing to sort of like loading words on top of you know each other and not propelling things forward, that's when you should probably you know reexamine <coughs> things and realize okay, you know what can I pare down and how can I make things move along you know to make my point more you know quickly and succinctly. Yeah, I'd uh, agree with that. There's um, one of the great things about um, books and radio as opposed to film and TV, is it's uh, use a cliched quote, it's the theater of the mind. It You know, radio plays have better special effects than anything Hollywood can put out because it's all in your head. And the same can be true of books. If you don't, you don't want blank characters in a blank universe surrounded just by nothingness, but you don't have to describe everything in exacting detail. It just give it enough to f- feel real, but the focus is really on your characters and building up their personalities and what they're doing. For example, Hirosaki-san and I may or may not have done several podcast episodes without pants. Yeah. We've, <laughs> we've mentioned that in the past, and our listeners are free to imagine whatever they like. Um, assisted by the lovely cover art on our DVDs, um, just wonderful cover art, done, by the way. Done by, by our friend Bobby No. Yes. <laughs> That's how his name's pronounced. Um, yeah, I think, I think we said this in the previous panel maybe, but um, if you're boring yourself with your description, then you're describing too much. I usually tend to err on the side of not describing enough, and then I have to go back and actually read what I've written and say, well, in my mind, I know that they took all their clothes off between here and there, but I never actually said that in the prose, so maybe I should throw in a sentence or two about it. And um, You want to... It gets back to balance, and just like these guys were saying, just put in the critical details, right. the things that really stand out, the things that shape the scene, because everybody's going to have a picture in their mind if you say... The wolf hugs the fox. Everybody is imagining something. So what is different about this particular time 
you know, the wolf hugs the fox from behind. The wolf hugs the fox with claws going through his back fur and scratching. Well, you know, yeah. whatever. Put in put in just enough detail. And, and as I'm saying that, you guys are all changing the little pictures that you had in your head when I said it the first time to accommodate this extra detail. So build that up in your head that way and put in the descriptions that really make a difference. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you then turn it into, you know, the wolf hugged the fox's slender, you know, vulpine frame with his big, strong, you know, Except canine. if you say foxes and vulpine in the same sentence, you should not do that. You shouldn't, but I see it. <laughs> um, but actually another um, especially key point for us, and I actually see this a lot, is over-description of furry characters in general. I mean, a reader is going to be able to imagine what a two-legged fox person looks like. And a furry reader definitely already knows what that looks like. You really don't need to, like, over-describe. Again, like like Kyle was saying, if you're boring yourself, you know, that's a you know a bad sign. If, you know, if you're going to skip, like, okay, like, I know what an anthropomorphic fox looks like. Don't spend three paragraphs telling me. And if you go back through, because it's easy to get caught up in describing, especially if you've done a lot of online role-playing and you have to write out the description and you're used to being on furry monk or tapestries or what have you and your descriptions are three pages long because you want to describe the special mother-of-pearl buttons on the shirt collar that were farmed from an oyster farm off the coast of something or another. But <laughs> if you're, and it's easy to get caught up in writing all the little details. But then if you go back through after you've written the story and you're like, okay, and then we get to the part where we describe and I'm going to skip forward a page to this, then you should tighten it up. I've got a – I know it's a neat example of this on the net. Um, I don't know if you all have seen this. Um, I use uh, – I'm a member of hardblush.com, which is Anta's uh, pay site. Bless you. And he had a, he had a, a comic series. It was uh, a horse fucking a dog. And somebody had pointed out, like, oh, wow, he can take a horse cock without any lube or without douching or anything like that. And Anta got a little irritated by this, and he posted three sketched pages to Fur Affinity of that missing scene. So you've, you've got the <laughs> so – so the dog's like, just a minute, I'll be right back. And then the horse sits on the couch, <laughs> and you hear singing in the background as he's presumably douching, and then the horse picking up a magazine. Flipping <laughs> <laughs> it's three pages of nothing. Okay, I'm ready now. Um, it's just – it's a good visual example of why you don't have to write absolutely – we know that you would stretch and use lube if you're about to have anal sex in real life. If you're making a hot porn scene, you you may or may not actually have to put every detail like that in there. Yeah, I've, it's it's been a while since I watched porn movies, but even in reverse, I'm betting they don't show most of that. Yeah. yeah I have a story called uh, Starting from Scratch, which is about two college-age people who get together and they have sex together for the first time. And I really tried to describe, you know, this is how awkward, you know, first-time sex can be. And I got a lot of comments of, yeah, that was just too awkward to be hot. Like, I empathize with that way too much to enjoy it. <laughs> and, like, and that's... Well done. Yeah. yeah. And that's, if you're, if you're trying to emphasize that point of the scene, if you're just trying to write something hot, don't write in all of the all of the prep and all of that stuff. But if you're trying to emphasize the way these two characters interact, maybe one of them is just like, all right, let's get to it. 
and the other one's like, well, hold on, I have to do this, I have to do that, you have to be clean, I have to be clean, we have to wash, and, you know, I, I, I've known people in real life who are both ways, and, you know, someone was just like, you know, whatever, we're, it's, it's sex, it's going to be messy, let's just, let's get to it, and the other one's like, well, no, we got a shower, and then you have to douche, and then we have to do this, and then we have to do that, and so if you want to show that conflict, that's a great way to do that, and include those details, but if you're just saying it's two people who know each other and they know what it's all about. It's like paragraphic and then they were fucking. Right. <laughs> just and like all see. the other times. <laughs> it was just as cold and intractable. <laughs> all of the feigned enjoyment and pretensions of love. <laughs> I should stop now, huh? <laughs> I, you really enjoyed Valentine's Day, didn't you? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Love is dead. Coming cool. soon from Cam I'm, I'm going to drown my sorrows in more alcohol now. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you're just going to have more alcohol. You're not drowning <laughs> sorrows in them. <laughs> I, I, I am not full of any sorrows. I, I, I promise you're full you of that. alcohol. I am he full is. of alcohol and not full of sorrow. That's He's true. full of alcohol and words. <laughs> but we're all pod- full of words. I'm on a podcast. I'm supposed to be full of words. We're all full of words. That's uh, why who, we're writers. Who, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's why I write because I'm so full of words that if I don't put them on the page, I'll just You get explode. backed up. Yeah, I, I will. <laughs> we, like, we get backed up and then we get cranky and, you know. Um, well, who has something else for us to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> please, please misdirect please. us. Mr. Wu Wei in the back, in the second row. Um, so Shor's algorithm. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bring on so, the bring on the bring on the particle physics. No. Um, <laughs> so you've got a character who does our foxes bad waves or particles, things, but you don't want them to be totally unlikable. So what sort of things do you do to have the reader stick to them and not just be thinking, oh? It's a pain in the ass to have to read about this person again because, you know, they were a jerk here and they were a jerk here, and I don't like them anymore. Yeah, if, if you um, make the conflict interesting and you make the reader care about what the outcome of what they're doing is, then that's you know step one to you know at least making you know what they're reading interesting. Every, everyone does bad things at some point in their lives. Um, Everyone's cut in front of that guy on the highway, cut off someone that was going not fast enough for you, um, not stopped for somebody who was trying to get in. Um, all my metaphors are driving metaphors now. You know, Blew up a busload of nuns. Yeah. I mean, who hasn't committed arson at some point? In there? Who hasn't wanted to set fire to some great public building? <laughs> um, so think about, and, you know, this is, little stretch of writing but think about the times when you've had the urge to do something bad and I, I would say and venture to guess that most people in this room have had the urge to do bad things much more than they've actually done them or at least thought about you know I'm in the grocery store and the clerk is yapping on the phone with his girlfriend or father or something not paying any attention to me and you know I could just grab this soda and walk out the door um but you wouldn't actually do that. But you can channel that frustration and say, make the situation more extreme 
and give a little bit of justification. This is the kind of character who gets impatient easily, and he's like, screw it. I tried to pay for it. You know, the guy's me and an ass. I'm just going to shoplift. I'm going to grab the soda and walk out. Um, sex is a really intimate environment and a great place for people to not communicate, for people to be selfish, for people to um, be really insecure. And insecurity is a great motivator for people to do bad things and also a great way to get the reader to sympathize with them. Um, that's... Uh, a great example of that is, uh, um, God, what was his name? Uh, Kames Harasaki's character in uh, the X Anthology. The X Anthology, yeah. where it's like, you're, he's the main character, he's an idiot, and I'm reading this story thinking, oh my God, I want to slap this guy. <laughs> or just shake him and be like, what the hell are you doing? But you you follow the story through to the end because. Even though he's a dick, you want to know what's going to happen to him. Right. And Kit is putting ideas into my head. He doesn't have a sophisticated mind, whatever, that Panther has. But uh, he yeah. just whispers in my ear, and that works. Um, <laughs> in uh, a, a great device in movies is that you establish a character right away as being sympathetic. And there's a couple ways to do that. You can show them in danger. You can show them being funny. And the audience immediately likes them. And then you have a little bit of leeway to show them doing terrible things. Um, actually, a great example that comes to mind is American Beauty. I'm not going to ruin it for anyone who's seen it or who's not seen it, but one, the very first thing that you hear is the main character saying, um, this is my life, and you know, at this point I have six months to live. So you know he's going to die. And immediately you're sympathetic with him, even when he decides to try to pick up and screw his daughter's friend in high school who's 15 years old. Um, and one of the things that the screenwriters kind of wrestled with and that they had problems with is how do you make the audience identify with this guy who is n maybe not a pedophile, but he's going after an underage girl, which is kind of a gross thing, and they pull it off. They show his motivation and the reason that he's going into that. They make him very uh, identifiable in other ways because he's a, a man going through a midlife crisis. Yeah. Uh, and he's funny. And he's, yeah. he's funny. really sarcastic and funny, which is great. Yeah, which is something I think a lot of furries can identify with. <laughs> sarcastic, funny. And quick to anger. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a wizard. <laughs> um, Lol drama. <laughs> Lord of the Rings geeks. Um, who else? Wow, we, have, we have quite. Bueller. Oh, is there a corgi in the back? Oh, we have, we have, a, a hand oh, we have someone here. here. We have we have a fresh face. All right. The corgi in the back. You have to get your stubby paws up higher if you want us to call on you. <laughs> <laughs> Try bouncing and yapping. Wait, no, please don't. When you're writing a story and you get through the middle of it and you realize, like, oh god. This is terrible. Um, at what point would you decide uh, to throw it away and start over? Or, like, would. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. I know you have recent experience with I this. I do have recent experience <laughs> with this, uh, actually, on a couple of accounts. Um, honestly, I think about. 
if I'm having trouble with something and it just has stopped being fun to work on, the idea doesn't excite me, and I think that what I've written is bad, that's where I'll step back and seriously try to reevaluate what I was working on. If I can remember, like, oh, wow, like, you know, I, I really had, like, high expectations and, like, this was sort of what I had in mind and I'll see if I can try to, you know, put myself back on track to reach that point. But if I'm looking at what I have and I'm like, yeah, now that I've started to write it, I realize that that's not where this story is going. There's no way to really make it go in this interesting place I thought it might go before. I don't think what I have is very good and I know I'm not going to enjoy writing the rest of it. Then, yeah, I'll, I'll give up on it at that point. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you, if you can go back and fix it, you can. But I have a lot of stories that I just abandoned midway through because the idea stopped appealing to me. Um, I, I'm maybe a little unusual in that I'm always working on three or four things at the same time. So if one of them gets boring or isn't going the place that I want it to, I just drop it. And I have another idea <laughs> coming up. So um, my hard drive is littered with half-finished stories. Um, and sometimes I go back to them and say, oh, I need to finish this. This is cool. Um, um, I would, yeah, because uh, I had this happen to me not too long ago. I, I'd say take a break uh, from that idea. Uh, don't ever throw anything away because you might still have bits and pieces that are usable uh, in that story. But I had a story that I started in 2004, and it got to a point, and I just didn't know where to continue it. So I just it just sat in my hard drive. Uh, and I finished it in 2009 when I, I picked up that ball again. And I was like, okay, I have a direction for this now. And now I know where I want to go with it. But, you know, it wasn't taking up any space or doing any harm just sitting there at that time. And I, I figured out how to fine-tune it and finish it off later on. So you can go back to those old ideas and do something with them. But just change your focus and work on something else and it might be days it might be months you might know be years might be years you might get back to it eventually or never but you know if you haven't lost anything by trying I, I know we have a couple other writers out in the audience any of you guys have experience with stories that didn't go where you wanted them to and what did you do about them anybody anybody want to chime in we have one over here I'll just wave at the gopher fox until he notices me. (laughs) Um, I have stories that are incomplete that come in two categories. The ones I loved too much to give up on permanently. Or the ones that I went, okay, it's been two years. I can't do anything with this. It's time to go on. And in that case, if you've already put it out there on the internet... People will never stop asking you about it. <laughs> Be honest with them. If you've moved on, tell them you've moved on. If it's the one that you still hold a flame for and swear to God you'll finish one day, admit, yeah, that's not going to happen anytime soon, but I still want to finish it one day. And I don't know any writer who doesn't have at least one of those stories somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a reason I don't do serialized fiction anymore and the reason that I took down the unfinished stuff I did have up online. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone else want to chime in on... We have a we have a core... Uh, well, actually, he's right there, so bring Drenth back on. Hi. Um, actually, the, uh, the story that I got published in Fang 3 was really supposed to be part of a series, and I, I wrote the first 
story, and I, and I started writing a second story far in the future, and it didn't at all have the same kind of interest. Once I kind of started thinking about the character, I th- he had some neat stuff, but the story I came up with wasn't really as interesting uh, and didn't even fit the same genre that I wanted to kind of have the series be about. Uh, and so I sort of just dropped it, maybe on a on my hard drive somewhere, but at this point, I don't even know. Um, so yeah, I've I've had that experience, and it's so, it's better just to, to, to I think to drop a story you know isn't going to work than to kind of force it into a, just putting it out there when it's crap and you don't like it. Yeah, and because generally I think if you if you end up forcing yourself to continue writing a story and it's not doing what you want it to, it's not going to be a very good result. So you know. We have one more. I'm filling time until he can get over to Mr. Corgi over here. We meet again. Yeah, um, I've actually been in that kind of experience too, where you know you write a bunch of stories, or you're writing a story, and then it just falls apart for you, and you or you're not sure how you're going to continue, or you just run out of time to do it. Unfortunately, with me, when I usually stop that story, it's usually dead and it stays on my computer forever and then I click on a file where I've put all the to-be-finished stories and look at them like carcasses in a uh, meat locker and that's where I am usually with those and they just intimidate me <laughs> so I'm pretty sure someone else can relate to that feeling too so you're not alone everybody's had that experience and the great thing about being a writer is if a story's not working you can move on to the next one you have to have confidence in your ability and that it's going to come back, that this isn't the only story you're going to be able to write, that you can start another one and finish it. So, you know, better that than to force yourself to do something you're not excited about. Yeah, Kyle and I have had the conversation in uh, private about when you get those feelings, like the, you know, it's like, oh. I- We've had private conversations about when you get those feelings, <laughs> what do they mean? When hair starts to grow where there was no hair before. Hirosaki son, I feel funny in gym class. What's all this white stuff? <laughs> and they, oh, come on, I'm a fox. Ideas. Give me some credit. <laughs> it, 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 it's fur, right? Yes. No, uh, about... <laughs> to get back to my original train of thought, that was not at all naughty and... That I, I just do this Said sometimes. Naughty. I will her her. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the fluster the otter question. <laughs> yes, apparently it is, and I have only myself to blame. Um, no, but how sometimes as a writer, you'll hit a point, and you know the frustrations you have dealing with one particular story will get you thinking, "Oh my god, I'm never going to write again. I have run out of all my ideas. Like the spark is gone." You know, I've used up all the words I will ever write. Love is dead. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, obviously, you know, neither of us have hit the point where, you know, we've hit, you know, this moment and we never wrote again. Um, And, you know, the thing is, is I think that, you know, what Fo said earlier is, you know, if you, you know, an idea is just proving to be too much of a problem, move on. And at that point, it doesn't matter so much if you come back to the olden day or not as long as you do move on you're just still writing as long as you're writing something even if it's something new even if it's something different even if keep it's doing not a story it. even if it's non-fiction yeah. write a journal about what happened to you that day write a description of the co-worker who did something really nice for you write a description of the guy who was a jerk at the store 
you know, describe the view out your window. Describe something that happened to you. Just get in the habit of writing. Write a flammogram to your boss that you will never actually send. Yeah. Troll on the internet. No, don't no. do that. <laughs> don't be a B-tard, kids. <laughs> um, who else? Who else has things to say? Um, what else? Have we intimidated you all too much? Something non-what? Oh, like we have a topic. Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead, Mr. Gopher Fox. (laughs) It's not long enough. I like cheesecake. He says he likes cheesecake. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why we're here, right? (laughs) Cheesecake con. Uh, do you have ever have any problems with like some of the first characters that you created kind of sneaking up on you and you want to use them again? Oh God, all the time. Yeah. Um, that's why that's why I have this um, this universe that um, this book is in my Forrester University, which started with started before Aquifers actually, but um, Waterways is set in that, Out of Position is set in that, and um, a lot of the characters keep coming back, especially if you look at some of my short stories online. I tend to bring characters back even as supporting characters in other stories because the way that they appear in my head is that they have lives beyond the stories. And sometimes I think, oh, it would be neat to have these characters, some characters, some side characters in a story that you know exemplify this thing. And if they're characters that I've already written about somewhere else, then I don't have to make up new people. And I'm lazy. So that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) If I already know who they are, that's great. And as a bonus, the readers like it because then they get to see other characters that they know from other places. And that all works out. Although I will caution that it is sometimes easy to kind of be self-aggrandizing if you do that route too often. But, I mean... I'm not yeah. saying you do that. No, you no, know. no. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example of... Uh, Russell T. Davies. Um, Doctor Who writer. Don't okay. do the big season finale of Out of Position where you have every character from Bridges and every character from Waterways all appear the in the final Christmas chapter. The big Christmas party where everybody shows up at the same time. And they all have sex together. <laughs> I'll write that if he won't. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's a point where it, it's going too far, and yeah, um, occasional characters showing up, um, but when you're doing like the entire cast, and or if you've written it to the point where a new person really couldn't understand what the hell was going on unless they had read the other two books. Yeah, if you start putting in in-jokes with your earlier characters, then that might be going a bit too far, but if you just introduce them as side characters who have you know, whatever characteristics of the, you know, that you need in that story, then that works fine. If you want to keep writing stories about their lives, hell, I wrote my first three books about the same character because I wrote a short story about him, and then I thought, well, how did he get into that situation? So I wrote a novel about that, and then I thought, well, how did he get out of that situation? And so I wrote a novel about that, (laughs) and then I thought, what would happen to his son 16 years later? And so I wrote a novel about that. And, you know, yeah, I don't have any more planned. 
yet. yet. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yes, dot, dot, dot. And then there were more gay foxes. <laughs> Which explains how gay foxes reproduce. <laughs> oh, you certainly explained it quite adequately, I think. <laughs> We're going to keep trying. There were very graphic, unpleasant scenes in one of your books. Yeah, but that wasn't reproduction. Uh, yeah, but still. <laughs> Come on, just because you don't like women. Just because my mind. Plant a fox tree in your yard and watch it grow. <laughs> the fox never falls far from the tree. Plow the fox plantation. Speaking of not relying too much on in-jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Drenth has some kind of euphemisms for that from previous podcasts, but making little foxes, wasn't that one of them? Uh, Making more foxes. Making more foxes. Okay, who wants to stop us from talking about painful euphemisms? (laughs) (laughs) I want to stop us from that, but I don't know how to. (laughs) We can't stop. We're going too fast. <laughs> well, along along the topic of bringing back characters, because this seems like a, the best segue we're going to get to this um, announcement, um, I had put up a challenge recently on my live journal where uh, Fuzzwolf and I had been talking about the release of Bridges, and he said, <laughs> I ordered a bunch of copies, and I'm pretty sure I'll have enough for Furry Fiesta and FWA. And I said, okay, let's prove him wrong. Which so, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> which he said he wouldn't mind, so he said it was okay for me to do it. So I said, if we if he sells enough that he has to reorder bridges before FWA, I'll write a new story with some of at least one and maybe more of these characters, um, and I'll post it online for free, and everyone can read it and and so on. And um, Fuzz came up to me early this afternoon and said, um, so I, I reordered bridges today for FWA. <laughs> <laughs> Two days, people. Pat yourselves on the back. So thank you all very much for that. That's awesome. Um, you guys are terrific. I hope uh, people have said they liked the first chapter, and a couple people who have read the book said they liked it, but I'm still nervous about it. So um, I hope all those people who bought it will like it, and I will be posting something on the Live Journal to let people decide who the story ends up being about. And it was totally not an excuse for me to just write another story with a three-way. <clears throat> <laughs> so if you, if you need more excuses for that, I can try to provide them for you. <laughs> yes, you've already supplied plenty of inspiration for this one. Thank you very much. You're mentioned in the dedication. Th- thank you very much. I was actually like super surprised to see that when uh, Fuzzwolf sneakily mailed you that copy. and uh, I, I, was, yeah. I was like, oh, hey, the book arrived. And I like opened the first page. And I was like, oh, it was it was sweet. It was. He gets never, all he gets ne- all emotional. He gets emo tears. I've ne- I've never <laughs> been I've never been so so touched and heartfelt about being you know credited in a book about three way sex. <laughs> Have you ever my, been my, previously credited in a book about three way sex? No, but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, I think that's uh, a very large part of the point. I wish I'd been there to see uh, y'all's reactions when you got the package in the mail. <laughs> I, I was very waggy. <laughs> Pound or wag for your little Pound sheet. <laughs> you've st- um, I'm very amused at our uh, Twitter hashtags. Uh, Kyle and I text each other, and uh, you've started texting me Pound Wag. I think in, you in did text too. Messages. I you yeah, texted I texted me back with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if uh, any of y'all use a Twitter and 
use the use the pound wag hashtag and see if we can't I don't know close get a trending I'd, I'd really like to get it trending I really like to see what we'd have to do to get the entire furry fandom to wag at the same time yeah the closest I can get is the pound rudder swish yeah. which, which Atari started yeah I've enjoyed saying that that's a good one too yeah like otters don't really wag we just kind of sway you do but you sway very enticingly yeah so we're slinky yes and er. and um oily apparently hallucinogenically oily i know don't give away too much of my secrets (laughs) pre-lubricated for your convenience oh it's better than that hopefully you'll get to see what i mean uh, before too long oh my yeah (laughs) wow that totally came out wrong (laughs) (laughs) no it came out exactly the way i should have intended it to (laughs) we'll have more inspirations for three-way stories for you (laughs) hey now I am I'm totally open to all kinds of inspiration. <laughs> From this <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. At this well, point, this is the lights in the paddle room were turned low. Well this is this is a three way podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I I'm I'm actually not in the middle of this podcast. We have an otter in the middle. Yay! Yay! <laughs> that makes him rudder swish, I think. <laughs> I think it does. Canid dominance. Yes. <laughs> well, I think Hirosaki might have to take a break. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know you're good, but you might still have to take a break. <laughs> Will you let me? <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to think about that one. Um... Well, how are uh, how are people feeling? Anything else to talk about? We have a few people to thank at the end of this, so and we're about twenty minutes from eleven. So, any more? Any more? We have a great audience here. It's at least what two hundred people? You say? I, oh, two hundred at least. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna say three. <laughs> we have like half a furry fiesta here. It's awesome. Um, so our, our uh, if you guys don't have questions, we have one question for you guys. What did what did you come here hoping to see? Just sort of a three way, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> a three way pod. Can we just have them yell things out? So if you just hold up the mic and let them just yell out stuff. What did, what did what did you expect? Did we fulfill your expectations? Are you leaving here sated? No pants and no sheaths. Honestly, I was expecting nothing, and I came here very much and enjoyed the podcast. Awesome. I Thank like, you. I like it, so. Thank you. I think you delivered some advice, gave us a lot of humor, and so you delivered on those expectations. So, awesome. Cool. You promised cake and blowjobs. <laughs> that you did not deliver on. We 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 didn't we didn't promise that. Uh, that that's I, after the podcast. Once the once the once the podcast is produced, <laughs> that then there might be promises added to the beginning of the podcast when but, we're uh, all safely home. <laughs> yes, when we're all safely away from here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to drive a full 10 minutes away from here. 
Yeah, Taryn may make you uh, make good on whatever promises we make. (laughs) Sex with my mate, whatever will I do? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Stop in the middle to describe it. (laughs) I'll do it while he's binding books. I had noticed that sex with my mate had become so played out. (laughs) Um, I'm not a terrible person. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're the one who can say that. Yeah. You're the you're the yeah. non-mated one on this podcast. It helps inspire me to write about really filthy things, which I actually don't do enough of, really, anyway. You don't. You yeah. should, do should write more filth. Oh, there's plenty of filth in the story I'm working on now. I have, like, a like 3,000-plus word sex scene in it. I- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look f- that, yeah, that's my promise from me to you. Keep it's, your eyes open. It's, it's actually 2,998 words of descriptions, and then he came. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyone else? Anyone else want to talk about what did you think you were going to get? And did we give it to you? Well, I like to say that I enjoyed the show, and I got one more question. Sure. Um, did you ever feel like you were being portrayed in any of the characters you wrote? Um, I get this. We I think we all get this question a fair amount. Um, mm, yeah. As a writer, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of cop out. I'm gonna say, as a writer, there's a part of you in every character that you write. Um, however, there are certain, certainly some characters that I've written that are more like me than other characters. Um, for instance, if the character is a fox, that's probably more like me because that's what I identify with. Hayward is a fox. Hayward is a fox, but the other characters in the book are all also foxes. So, uh. um, they're all me, uh, except not. Um, so you can say that there's so a piece of Kyle in all of these different foxes, <laughs> from varying angles and ends. I, uh, I I once said to a friend after watching the movie Balto that. Uh, Jenna looked like she had a little fox in her, and he said, I don't think that's true. And I said, well, maybe she should have a little fox in her, and <laughs> he didn't like that. <laughs> We're not friends anymore. <laughs> as far as the podcast goes for um, mentioning the, the new Roar submission, I was happy to hear that as I have somewhat of a vested interest um, this is, this is uh, our, our buddy Confused and podcasting wine provider for this episode, yes. for which we have to thank you. Hooray. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing about the podcast I was or, going to say I was minorly disappointed in. I was kind of hoping to at least sample the wine that I had provided right. for the podcast since uh, I wanted to know if get, it was any Come on good. down and get some. We've got some right here. Come, <laughs> come, come down. Come get, get some. some. <laughs> we'll give it to you. The, All you have to do is ask. The tech-savvy and, uh, wolf will wink. pour you a the, uh, cup. Or, or as, as we call the wine providers of the f- podcast, the otter lubricants. Hey. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> rudder swish. Rudder swish. <laughs> rudder. Pound rudder switch. <laughs> pound rudder switch. First comes the pound, then comes the rudder switch. I don't even know where the pound comes from. That's like old school. Everyone says hash now. That's true. Um, any other comments? Um, We're old school, though. We also we also want to thank um, Siani and his mate for providing the Coke Zero, or the Fox Energizer, as we say. <laughs> um, 
I thank the con suite for my bottle of Diet Coke. <laughs> and uh, Furry Fiesta in general for being awesome and allowing us to sit here and blab into microphones in front of y'all for like an hour and a half. Um, the con has been great. And we're, in fact, the process of getting a live podcast show at Furry Fiesta, um, I believe, took approximately five minutes. <laughs> um, I think I texted Fuzzwolf and said, hey, can we do a live, not, uh, live unsheathed show at Furry Fiesta? And he said, hang on, I'll ask the con chair. And then five minutes later he said, he says it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Um, these guys have been tremendous. Uh, they put on an awesome convention for you guys here. Let's hear it for Furry Fiesta and how awesome they are. <laughs> and for you all listening at home, 2011. We'll be back. Awesome. And, uh, well, being the sole, um, the Furry Fiesta staff member here, thank you very much for your appreciation, and we'll be very happy to have you back here for year three. We're very excited about it. And um, lastly, thank all of you guys out there for coming and spending your two hours here listening to us ramble on about blowjobs and, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Otter lubricants. Hallucinogenic otter lubricants and... <laughs> Three ways and such. Spit roast. Um, spit roasting. Uh, when we know that there's a dance going on right next door and there's all kinds of other stuff going on at a convention, um, this is super cool. And I think, uh, do we have anything else? Did I cover everything? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so we're going we're gonna to tease all the people that are listening to this on the podcast after the thing and say... At uh, at 11 o'clock in about 15 minutes, I will be reading an excerpt from the first draft, so it's still a little bit rough, not in that way, of the sequel to Out of Position, which will is targeted to hit stores at Further Confusion 2011. Uh, I'm doing this because Furry Fiesta was awesome and invited me here as a guest of honor, and I wanted to do something for them. Uh, I do not normally share first drafts with anyone but Kit, and uh, this Sometimes will Sometimes me. This will not. No, you usually usually get it after I've finished it and gone through it again. Uh, let's try to. Um, it's this a little will, smoother for you. Uh, yes, <laughs> goes down easier. Needs easy, to be yeah. lubricated. <laughs> um, this is something that will not be aired in public again until at least the fall when the book's done and I'm trying to promote it. So, if you're interested in hearing that, stick around. And uh, if you're on the podcast, sorry, it was awesome. You should come to Furry Fiesta next year or... Um, or Fuzz will be sad. Or Fuzz will be sad. You or can tell make your Fuzz happier by buying lots of copies of Bridges <coughs> from them. <laughs> Forplanet.com. Um, or tell your local convention that there's a couple of writers that uh, will do cool things for them if they uh, just invite them around. I, I love drinking wine and talking about sex in front of an audience willing to listen to me. <laughs> and we're happy to do that, so... Uh, you guys who are here, stick around. You guys on the podcast, thank you for listening. And all you guys here, thank you very much. Um, we're signing off live from Furry Fiesta. I'm Kyle Gold. I'm Kim Hirasaki. And I'm Fuzzle. Good night. <laughs>